Hello, and welcome to the Applied Ballistics Podcast. I'm Amanda Wheeler, and tonight I'm joined by Mitch Fitzpatrick. We're also being joined by a very special guest. He works for Burger Bullets. He's a valued part of the AB shooting team and an all-around fantastic guy, the one and only Windmaster, Emil Prasilic. Emil, thank you. Oh, my God. That's... What? <laughs> so one one correction, uh, I work for Capstone Precision, which is all those brands, which is Burger, um, Vitavori, Lapua, and SK Rimfire. All yes, the, yes, the umbrella. I, the umbrella, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for mm-hmm. for smacking my head. Otherwise, I'll get. I'll, no, I'll, I'll get. I'll get you that. So I have to. No, you know. you're. You're. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, so leading up to uh, us having this call tonight, I've been watching and listening to everything I can that has your name attached to it on the interwebs. Yeah. There's a lot, and um, so I'm hoping that you can. Talk to me tonight about wind and help me learn some things I need to know um, beyond, you know, licking my finger, or licking someone else's finger and sticking in the air. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the reading the wind or, you know, whatever people want to use a term for that or, you know, managing the wind or whatever, mitigating the wind. It's it all really comes down to uh, you have to know the direction of the wind you have to know the speed of the wind you know looking at from a macro view and then once you have those two elements how you deal with it uh really in to a large degree a large a big extent uh is about like what you're doing so if you're like shooting elr stuff like mitch um, like, you know, it, it Mitch is shooting King of two mile or, you know, we shoot that night force, uh, ELR steel match that he just shot. And, you know, you're trying to put a one, your first shot on the target at 2000 yards in 48 mile an hour wind, <laughs> your, your approach to, to reading the wind and coming up with your number or your strategy is probably going to be a lot different than like flopping down in a PRS stage with a six millimeter gun at like seven first target, 700 yards. Okay. But okay. you know, but the, the, but the basic concept of knowing the direction and the velocity that never changes. Uh, so usually when I talk about this stuff, I kind of start from there. I kind of, you know, there's uh, you know, there's sort of fundamentals of, uh, of almost everything that we do, you know, uh, you know, there's marksmanship stuff that you have to do certain things in a certain way in order to be able to, to shoot well with a pistol or a rifle. And it's the same thing with kind of like negotiating the, the conditions of the wind. So I kind of start off from there and then, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, different applications. And I would like to hear, uh, you know, Mitch is a fantastic wind reader, uh, and so I'd like to hear, you know, his approach too. we can kind of talk a little bit about, you know, different, different approaches or different techniques, you know, for example, I know that Mitch and I do something very different when it comes to ELR in terms of how we get our solution. Uh, the process is the same, but the actual mechanical method of how that happens, the process on the line is different. Mitch prefers it one way and I prefer it another way. And that's really about how your brain lines up to think that is also going to influence this process. So like whatever makes the most sense for you, 
like, you know, my brain is wired to think a certain way. I'm not a particularly smart guy. I'm a failed English major, you know, and as opposed to somebody who's an engineer, maybe their brain works differently or your brain might work differently. So mine's going to be more on the failed English major brain wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a drag, man. Like I'm like, oh man, I'm going to, oh shit. I needed to know how to factor. This sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually good. All the, you know, all the COVID-19 stuff, you know, my, my oldest son is 13. So, you know, we just had to do a bunch of seventh grade, uh, math together, homeschooling. So I'm kind of, I'm relearning algebra as a seventh grader. So it is, it is helping me a little bit. I won't have to call Brian Litz or Mitch every time I have to do something beyond some seventh grade math. Yeah. And he knows what I'm talking about all the time. Like, Hey Mitch, if I wanted to know, what would I do? Oh, it's that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm in a unique situation because I, as someone new to shooting and learning, I, I couldn't work at a better place. Um, I'm surrounded by so many smart, smart, smart people and they're all such good teachers and I feel pretty, pretty, pretty uh lucky to be in my position you you are um you know it's interesting uh you know my uh, you know my background is you know i uh you know i was in i'm retired from the from the army and i spent you know the first part of my career i spent uh jumping out of airplanes in the in the ranger regiment back when reagan was president and and bush bush the first and then uh then i i moved on to the army marksmanship unit and you know doing the competitive thing mainly like the nra service rifle and long range and i ended up being the coach of that team for about 15 years and i retired about uh four years ago but we we saw this exact same thing multiple times we'd get a, a new guy on the team uh we'd get somebody from the army so we'd get a guy that we thought had potential, but he had zero competitive sort of background or experience, but we knew the guy had raw talent. So they would, we assigned him to the, to the AMU. Um, a lot of times they ended up on my team on the service rifle team. And now they're surrounded by national and world champions. And within, within less than one year, these guys were all NRA high masters and distinguished riflemen, like within a year, almost every single time. Whereas, you know, we, we shoot against civilians all the time. And sometimes these guys, their journey to get to that level, like they're on their eighth, ninth, 10th year, and they just haven't still gotten that level. And it would always freak them out. I would even tell my new guys like, Hey, don't tell a lot of these guys how long you've been shooting because they won't believe you. And the difference was that they're surrounded only by people doing things the right way, which you are. Right. So uh, your learning curve is going to be so much steeper than somebody who's out there just trying to do it on their own. So, you know, knowing what right looks like from Jump Street is a huge advantage, a huge advantage. And I saw we saw the same thing, you know, in the army where you know we could I could turn almost anybody into you know knocking on the door of national level competitor within a year because they're only seeing good examples so i do envy you in that in that uh you know for especially the prs and the elr stuff that you'll be shooting you're going to you're going to get you're going to get good very fast there's no doubt i hope so yeah <laughs> um yeah but to jump kind of right into the um the win thing uh you know there's 
there's, you know, there's kind of, there's, there's four things that I think about when it, when I'm looking at, when I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm on this range, I'm looking at targets. I need to put wind on the rifle or know how much I'm going to hold for the wind to hit the target. So I think I have to know the speed of the wind. I have to know the direction of the wind, which we also, we call value um, often. Uh, I need to know the size of the target and I need to know the wind's effect at, at the target. You know, so if I'm shooting at a thousand yards and my target's at a thousand yards and I need to know how much the wind is going to blow my bullet at a thousand yards in order to hit my target. So those four things, it's pretty simple, speed, direction, the size, and like the wind's effect at the target. So kind of talking about wind speed, um, this is kind of a, it's just, you know, it sounds like it's the easy part, but it can be difficult. Um, you know, the first, the first thing I'd recommend to anybody that is learning the, uh, learning this game is, you know, get a Kestrel, obviously, um, which I'm assume you, you have one or, I, or I two. Do. Yep. And, um, you know, so the, the, the Kestrel 5,700 elite, you know, with the applied ballistic stuff in there, it's all you need. Right. So now the Kestrel is great because it's a anemometer. It's a wind meter. I mean, that's how they were first made were to, to measure the wind speed. So you can measure wind speed with that thing. Um, now where is that measuring the wind speed? It's measuring it where you're standing. Right. So, uh, it's also important to learn how to estimate wind speed without using a Kestrel. So, uh, there's lots of different things written down actually in, um, in, in, uh, Winky's, uh, in Chris's, uh, data book that you guys have, he's got a great chart in there that talks about, uh, physical effects and wind speed. Um, you know, it's like, uh, zero to three miles an hour smoke hardly drifts. Right. And then four to seven, you can win, you can feel the wind lightly on your face or exposed skin eight to 12 miles an hour keeps leaves and leaves in constant motion. You can see tall grass swaying 13 to 18 sand and loose paper are moving on the ground. You see small trees and thin branches moving 19 to 24 miles an hour. Small trees begin this way. Medium branches are moving around at 25 to 31. It's blustery. You're getting buffeting. Uh, large branches are moving. Um, now that's those are great places to start. Uh, and what I tell guys a lot, or just shooters in general, not just necessarily guys, guys and girls, <laughs> um, that or, or however you identify, I don't care, man. Uh, so, it, so um, that sort of list of physical effects, it's going to be it's going to be uh, sort of geographically and terrain dependent. You know, so if you live in a desert where there isn't a lot of vegetation and there's just some small like creosote, you know, bushes or whatever, and those things start moving, that's probably a different mile per hour number than if you live, you know, in Michigan where there's lots of trees with lots of leaves and things like that. So, um, but a Kestrel is a great way to kind of train your eyeball of what that feels like, you know, like just kind of close your eyes and like feel the wind on your face or in your hair. Um, and then try, just try to put a number on it, then open your eyes and look at what your Kestrel is reading. That's a great way to practice. Another way to practice like that is have two people with Kestrels and, you know, get a couple of hundred yards away from each other and use some radios and, uh, 
have an idea, like look at and stand in front of like some tall grass or something with some leaves on it and kind of see what that movement looks like on the vegetation and, and try to put a number on it. And then look at your Kestrel and say, or call on the radio and say, Hey, I think it's 10 miles an hour at your position. And then the, the, the other person that has the Kestrel goes, no man, it's reading seven. So that you go, Oh, okay. That doesn't look like 10. That looks like seven. So you can kind of calibrate your eye, looking at flags moving like the American flags at the car dealership or all that stuff. Um, those are all good ways of estimating the wind speed and doing it by eye is a great skill to have because when you're shooting, you can look down range and look at that. You know, if you're where you're standing, doesn't have any wind, uh, if you're protected or to completely different set of terrain, you know, midway to the target at the, where the target is. You need to be able to put a velocity number on what you see with your eyes, if that makes sense. So it's a really important skill, and it's it's like a lifetime skill. Like when I get in the car and I'm driving, I'm like I'm looking all the time at trees. When I get out of the, out of the grocery store, I'm looking – I'm actually looking at like the heat waves of the mirage off of the tops of the cars and see how they're blowing left to right. If I can pick up the wind direction or the wind speed by looking at that, looking at the branches in the trees, I am always trying to put a number on the wind. It's like a habit. So, I mean, there's plenty of ways of uh, estimating wind speed by physical effects. I would, and I would advise anybody that kind of wants to get into this game to just get out there and practice. Um, you know, you can look at the weather report of what the wind is going to be blowing, um, you know, by by time of the day, and just practice with your eyeball. I mean, the the human eye. I mean, that's your number one read, wind reading tool, especially when you start shooting at like extreme long range. You know, until you know. We have there's technologies out there being developed that you, you press a button and it's going to tell you what the wind is blowing all the way to the target. But whether that's ever within our reach as like individual kind of shooters or something that's ever going to be allowed in competition, that's a different thing. So that solution is probably going to exist for the military here, you know, probably within a decade or so. But for for uh, you and I, you know, regular people that are just out there shooting matches, you have to be able to do that with your eyeball. So wind speed is huge. And then kind of when we're talking about wind speed, um, you know, if you're shooting at far, at far ranges, you have to be kind of aware of this effect of wind gradient or wind shear, which is basically the higher up you get off of the ground, the higher, the faster the wind is blowing. Right. So like, I mean, if you're lying on the ground, you don't feel any wind at all. And you stand up, and you feel wind, that's wind gradient. Okay. Okay. So, right. So, and if you climbed up in a 20 foot tower, the wind would be feel the the wind would be blowing even harder. Right. And if you went to a hundred foot tower, the wind would be blowing either even harder than that. And that's because, you know, the wind going across the ground is slowed down by the friction of the surface. So the more stuff that's on the ground, whether you know buildings or rocks and veg trees and uh, terrain, uh, the more the wind is being slowed down. So the rate at which the wind increases with altitude is called wind gradient, right? So uh, it's a hard thing to quantify. There's formulas, right? Like if you worked, uh, like I have a buddy who uh, 
you know, down in like Northern Oregon, Southern Washington, he's one of these guys that goes up and does repairs on these giant windmills for power generation. Right. So he's like 300 feet up in the air and he's working on these motors and everything they have to do to keep those things running. So it's actually that type of, that's a really important formula for guys like that. They have to know what kind of wind speed is up 300 feet in the air, um, in order to kind of design these things and have the right settings. So they work and they don't, you know, if they're po- make sure they're pointed in the right way, so they don't fly apart in a million pieces or whatever explode. And they can also be the most efficient. So, uh, there are some things we know about that. Like we know there's certain, you know, they kind of can classify terrain, um, in different ways. So when I talk about this, I start, I try to stay very generalized about it. Cause I don't, I don't like getting people hung up on this and trying to like do some formula, like a power law formula or a quadratic equation while you're shooting. Like you're, you're, <laughs> if you start doing that stuff, you're not going to hit anything. You're going to lose every single match. Right. Cause you you know, cause you're like, you know, with your, you have your slide rule and your abacus out <laughs> and the match is going to be over and you get a before you get to shot, shoot right? one round. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, that's the same with all this stuff, whether it's ballistics, you know, the trajectory stuff or, you know, wind stuff. If you get, you know, paralysis because of analysis, um, you know, sometimes just doing something like a, like, Hey man, I'm just going to hold left edge because I can all the way out to like the 600 yard targets to get hits. Instead of trying to figure out the exact win number, you're going to up your hit percentage. Um, but I did a couple of comparisons, which kind of illustrate this, uh, effect. And I think it's useful. Um, you know, so at a 308, if you're shooting like a thousand yards with a 308, uh, your bullet is up in the air about, you know, uh, six meters, you know, 18, 19 feet, something like that. So over like a normal, like a rifle range looking thing, you know, kind of rolling hills, open terrain. Um, if I measured the wind speed at like 20 feet and I measured the wind speed at like six feet in the air, uh, the wind would increase only about 4% from like six feet to 20 feet, six, 20 feet representing the maximum ordinate. So the highest your bullet is on a trajectory before it starts going back down towards target. Okay. So if you think about it, like once your bullet is all the way up in the top of its trajectory, if the wind speed does increase as the bullet, as the bullet gets higher, higher in the air, you could run into a situation where you're looking at, you're measuring the wind speed you holding a, you holding a Kestrel up in front of your face at five feet, whatever. And if you're shooting really far away, your bullet might be seeing more wind than you're taking into account for. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so in a case of like a a range where there isn't a lot of crazy terrain, it's kind of rolling Hills. Um, you only have like about a 4% increase. So you can ignore that. That's not going to make you miss. If you miss the wind by 4%, that's, you're not going to see that, right? So that's kind of in the noise. Now, that same example, but if I was shooting over really rough, broken terrain, thick forests, um, that wind speed could increase 100% from, say, 5 feet to 20 feet. So if I had a 10-mile-an-hour wind, when the bullet is at the top of its trajectory, it could be seeing up to a 20-mile-per-hour wind. For that time, that window 
when it's higher in the air and it's, it's experiencing that high wind speed. So in a situation like that, I might add a couple of miles per hour to my assessment just to take into account the really rough terrain. And as you shoot farther out and as the maximum ordinate or the highest point your bullet takes in trajectory gets higher and higher, that that is going to increase. So the extreme example is like, so if you're shooting a, a 375 enabler, um, you know, with a, with a burger, uh, 407 grain, you know, at like 3000 yards, your bullet is about 180 feet in the air at maximum ordinate. Okay. That's hot. That's hot. That's very right? high. Yeah. That's super high. Right. So again, over like open terrain, rolling Hills, uh, relatively flat ground, the wind speed might only increase 10% at the very high altitude, but over really rough terrain, the wind speed could increase almost 300%. So in practice, what I usually do is if I'm shooting over really, really rough terrain, I'll kind of imagine about where the, or I'll look at my data, what's the maximum height of my trajectory. If I'm shooting, you know, to where it matters to where, like if that bullet's getting up in the air 20, 30 feet or more, I might add some to my wind call. I might add some to my, the, to that velocity that I'm, that I'm estimating, if that makes sense. Uh, now it's not a perfect science. Um, but there's plenty of, there's plenty of, uh, of information out there. It's, it's something to kind of play around with. There's like, there are some of these, uh, wind gradient or wind shear online calculators, and it kind of lets you answer in that your terrain, uh, measure, Hey, I measured the wind speed. And most of these things are in meters per second and meters because it's for like this power industry and, or a lot of European stuff. So, uh, you have to do conversions to miles per hour from meters per second, um, you know, meters to feet or whatever, you know, they didn't go to the moon. So, you know, <laughs> they're not using feet, inches and miles per hour. So, but it's interesting to find these things online and just kind of like war game and see some of this stuff. Usually it's something that you realize after you miss the target, unfortunately, and Mitch can probably attest to that. If like, if you're shooting and you're like, man, why are we missing? Like everything's measuring the same way. And then if you take into account, well, the bullet is way the F up there and, you know, look at this terrain. We may be dealing with more wind at high altitude. Yeah. Um, when right? you, uh, when you started mentioning that, uh, just a little bit ago, I immediately thought of when we had that practice there at the, uh, and you talk about being 180 feet in the air, but your, your line of sight by itself could be 60, 75 feet above, you know, the lowest ground point in between you and the target. So now you're talking hundreds of feet in the air, you know, between two and yep. 300 feet. Yep. And especially like, yeah. So it's a great, that's a great point, Mitch. Like if you're, if you're shooting in like, you know, sort of mountainous terrain and you're shooting across a Canyon and a lot of the times the place, the only places we can find to shoot these, these far ranges are across like a terrain feature or something. Yeah. You may be close to the ground when you shoot the shot, but your once your bullet gets out, maybe even 20 yards it's now four or 500 feet in the air above the ground in the middle of the Canyon. So, uh, that's why, you know, it's, it can be really difficult to read the wind in that type of terrain for sure. 
Um, you know, I get a chance to, I, I've had a chance to go over and shoot with Brian Morgan at his place in Idaho and everything is like that. And it's an extremely difficult place to shoot and read the wind because also you don't get any mirage to look at when you're shooting off into the middle of a canyon. So you have to make assumptions based on looking at the weather report and again, making assumptions based on like, like what you think the rate of wind gradient might be. It's not something I'd recommend anybody even worry about as a, as a new type of shooter. Um, but once you get farther along in the game and you start trying to account for why you're underestimating the wind at, 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 at great ranges, it probably plays a factor into it. Uh, so that's kind of wind speed. Um, and so, uh, moving, moving on after hey, hey. Before yeah, we move on real quick, um, yeah. one interesting example that, um, and maybe this is going too far to the complex side of things for more of a beginner conversation, but a good example of, you know, actually really the opposite of what you just described was uh, when we were there at that uh, Night Force match in Wyoming, um, we were shooting off the top of this ridgeline and pretty much had a, like an 1130 to, to 1230 wind, you know, it was mostly a headwind, um, but that that stage and off the top of that ridge, that's where, you know, everyone kept posting the pictures of these really insane wind values. Right. Um, but, but in that example, what we had was the wind was, uh, compressing and, uh, increasing in velocity as it came over the top of that ridge, right where we were. So, you know, we're experiencing 50, 60 mile an hour gusts, even though downrange, we're really only shooting in like a, you know, a high 20 to 30 mile an hour wind. So, that just kind of speaks to how dynamic this is and how specific it is to where you're shooting. I mean, that, um, that hill was acting almost like the, you know, the top of a wind foil to have the, the aerospace engineer and me come out the, as it came over the top of that, it was actually increasing in speed, even though that's, you know, close to the ground, right where we're standing. So, um, it's just a really dynamic thing that takes a lot of time to learn because you'll encounter these situations that, um, almost seem counterintuitive, but there's very sound scientific reasons for why it's happening the way that it is. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point. You know, the wind can be, um, you can, you can spoof your own estimate of the wind. If you're not really, uh, if you don't have good situational awareness about where you are in relation to the wind, you know, so they're in Mitch's example, you know, they're basically shooting off the off of a, a face of a cliff or a large hill and the wind is blowing into them. So, you know, the wind, um, kind of acts like a fluid, right? So, uh, it can, comp- when it hits terrain, it compresses and then it goes path of least resistance. So it, it'll squirt up at a higher velocity. You know, it's like, if you've ever been in a big city and you walk around the corner and you don't really feel any wind on one, one street, you know, you're in Manhattan and you go to walk on the Avenue, which is North South off of a East West cross street. And all of a sudden, boom, you get hit by this wind gust that almost knocks you over. That's because the wind is getting compressed and channelized across, you know, all these different sort of, you know, terrain features. So yeah, you have to kind of know where you are and make sure that your wind estimate is representative of what you're seeing all the way down range. So, um, and that's a lot of that situationally based. The more times you shoot, you know, the kind of the more you learn about it. And so, yeah, this is a skill that, um, you know, you can kind of learn about it theoretically, like I'm talking about it or, you know, but that has to be complemented by lots of time on the range. Um, and, you know, this is kind of why I, I, I think about the wind this way. 
Um, because, you know, when I first started shooting competition stuff, uh, you know, I was, I was a young guy, I was on the army, army shooting team and we were shooting some long range match somewhere. Uh, and the wind was like really blowing. I think it was like Camp Pendleton and like, you know, the wind is really, really blowing hard. And like we, we were shooting M14s at a thousand yards and the M14 only had about like nine minutes, eight, nine minutes of wind each way on the iron sight. So I mean, the wind was really, really blowing at a thousand yards with an M14. You used to have to aim at the target upwind of your target sometimes or downwind and turn your sights the other way in order to be able to hit your target. Uh, I asked one of these old timers, I'm like, hey, man, uh, how much the wind's blowing? He's like, well, that, that's about nine and a half minutes. I'm like, well, why? He goes, well, it just is. I'm like, okay, can you tell me how you figure that out? Well, no, it just looks like nine and a half minutes, man. You just got to do it. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I don't have time. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have 20 years, you know, to sit there and look at the wind and figure out what it means. So I started thinking about it like very sort of scientifically, like, Hey, if I know how fast it's blowing and I know the angle, I can figure out how much it's worth, which is kind of how the Kestrel works, you know, and how the, the solver works too. Um, so that kind of leads me into the next point, which is finding your direction and direction is huge. Um, you know, for, I would say, uh, so for, if you want to think about which is worse to miss the direction or the speed, it kind of depends on what direction the wind is blowing. Like if you're in a full value wind or almost full value, that means that the wind is kind of blowing straight across so three o'clock to nine o'clock or nine o'clock to three o'clock. And uh, the way that wind value works is it's a percentage of, of a hundred percent. And that percentage is dictated by the angle of you, of the wind to your line of sight or the bullets flight to the target. So like if we're talking from 12 o'clock to three o'clock, that's say zero, zero degrees is 12 o'clock towards the target and 90 degrees is three o'clock, like directly from your right. So if a three o'clock wind is a hundred percent, you know, a two o'clock wind is still about 87% of the total value of that wind. So if I miss the angle between one o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock, 30 degrees, I'm only missing it by like 13%. But Wind speed in a full value wind is much more, will hurt you much more than missing a direction change from, say, three o'clock to two o'clock. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, if we go to like a headwind, a switching headwind or a wind that comes from 12 o'clock, then all of a sudden it goes out to one or 130, or say it's coming from 11 o'clock and then swings over to one o'clock, then missing the angle change is going to be much more expensive than missing velocity change. Because, you know, if the wind, if it's, if it's a 50%, one o'clock or 30 degrees is 50% wind value. So if I had the wind blowing from one o'clock and it was 10 miles per hour, my calculator only no only thinks that the wind is blowing five miles per hour, right? That's how it, that's how the solver is working. So a 50% wind is a one o'clock wind. So if it's 10 miles per hour, then I'm going to dope it for five, Right. So it's also 50, it's also 50% if it's coming from 11 o'clock. So if I miss the wind coming from 11 o'clock over to one o'clock, which is not really a 
in a, in a switching headwind or tailwind, you see that all the time. You just missed the wind by 100% of the speed, right? So that's a huge error. Oh. So in, in, a, in a headwind uh, or sort of shallow angles, angle is more important. And in, in a full value effect, uh, you know, two o'clock out to three o'clock, you should be really focused on velocity changes. So, so, and the way that the values work, you know, when I first, when I first came in the army and first started doing, you know, uh, even like the sniper thing, you know, it was really old school. They just categorized wind as no value, half value and full value. That was it. So no value being 12 o'clock to six o'clock, half value being out to around one o'clock and or one thirty, and like full value being anything from like one thirty all the way to like uh, three o'clock. So, um, and that's actually not a bad way of doing it if you're shooting at relatively short range or if the wind isn't blowing hard. Uh, but in order to be effective at this game, you need to, so if I was going to tell somebody asked me, Hey, what defines an elite wind reader? Like, okay, you are no kidding. An awesome wind reader to me, that would be somebody that can estimate the velocity to within two miles per hour and estimate the angle to within 15 degrees. If you can do those two things, you're going to hit any target, almost any target. Now, if you're, you're shooting a two mile target, you might miss your target by a target width or so, but you're going to be close enough to where you can see your shot and follow up and make a quick correction. So the velocity thing, we already talked about that. Now getting the wind direction within 15 degrees, you know, every hour on a clock is 30 degrees, right? Okay. Three o'clock is right, is 90. So one o'clock would be 30 degrees. Two o'clock would be 60 degrees. Three o'clock would be 90 degrees. So every half hour, is 15 degrees. So the goal for me is to est- is to get the wind direction to within a half an hour on the clock. Um, so there's a couple ways of doing that. Um, you know, determining determining wind direction or the value. You know, you can do something as basic as uh, throwing grass in the air, uh, looking at smoke or dust out there. Um, you mentioned it earlier. You know, the old uh, mankind's first wind meter, you know, the Mark one mod zero wind meter, <laughs> the old wet finger, right? Yep. Uh, lick your finger, stick it up in the air and the side that gets cool is the direction of the wind. Uh, you know, you can even take your Kestrel, hold it in the air and, and look at the, your lanyard and see which way the lanyard is blowing. You know, if the wind is blowing hard enough, uh, uh, but by far the easiest way to get the direction of the wind is by using optics. So, um, uh, talking that kind of talks a little bit about Mirage, right? So you've seen Mirage by now, I'm sure, yes. right? You've looked through a scope, right? And, uh, you know, Mirage is the, uh, it's layers of air that are heated at sort of different temperatures, um, you know, relative to the ground. And they, uh, those layers of air, they can refract light. So that light refraction can cause, basically you're seeing that light refraction. And so the wind blows, the wind blows the air. And so that's why you can kind of see the sort of ripples in the air. Um, so we can use Mirage to get wind direction. And then to some extent, you could use Mirage to get wind speed. But the, the, the easiest and the best way to use Mirage is to get wind direction. So 
you know, with Mirage, the uh, if you're looking directly into the wind or the winds directly from your rear, uh, six o'clock, the Mirage looks like it boils, right? So there's really no apparent movement left or right to the wind, to the Mirage. So if I turn my spotting scope until I'm facing into the wind or if the wind is from my back, so for example, I know the wind is blowing somewhere between one and two o'clock, but I just can't narrow it down. So I take my binos or my spotting scope before I shoot and I, I point at the target and I can see the mirage kind of running right to left. It's telling me there's a right wind out there. And as I turn my spotting scope into the wind, I start panning it right. I have a right wind. I start panning my spotting scope right. And I should see the mirage slowing down. The closer I get to being in line with the wind, the slower the mirage is going to appear. So when I get all the way to where the mirage, I am looking directly into the wind, the mirage is going to look like a boil. And when I find the boil, I have found the exact direction of the wind. And then once you have that, you could do anything you want with that information. You can estimate the angle. You can look at it like, hey, that looks like 130, 45 degree wind. Or you can like take a watch and point your 12 o'clock hand downrange and like line up your watch with the direction the spotting scope is and say, okay, that spotting scope is running right at 130 or 45 degrees. Or if you want to be super nerd, which is like <laughs> I did this at King of Two Mile, um, I would take like my compass on my iPhone or, or a regular compass, you know, uh, and I would shoot an azimuth or the Garmin 701 was awesome for this or the Kestrel even. I would shoot an azimuth at the target. And then I would shoot an azimuth in the direction that my spotting scope was lined up. So if my target was like 20 degrees magnetic and my spotting scope was pointed at 100 degrees magnetic and I saw the boil, then 100 minus 20 is 80 degrees. I have an 80 degree angle. And if I wanted to know the, what wind percentage 80, 80 degrees was, I would type in I would find the sign of 80 degrees and the sign of 80 degrees would be your wind percentage. So you can, uh, you can get as fine into the, into, you can get into the weeds as much as you want with this or just be really general. Um, so the way the percentages work, I'll give you like two things to remember. Uh, and, and I'll, and I'll send you off into the wild blue yonder with those. So, you know, the, the actual angular values, um, so we're talking about wind on a half an hour. So a 12 o'clock wind is zero. Uh, a 1230 wind is 25% because the sine of, uh, of 15 degrees, which is 1230, equals 0.25, right? So so the, so the a 1230 wind is worth 25%. A one o'clock wind is worth 50%. A 130 wind or 45 degrees is worth 0.71, but don't write down 0.71 yet. Um, a two o'clock wind or 60 degrees is worth 0.87, but don't write that down yet. And a 230 wind, which is 75 degrees, is worth 0.96, and don't write that down. And a 90 degree wind is worth one or 100%. And you could verify those. You just go to a calculator, scientific calculator, make sure that it's selected for angles and not radians. Uh, I made that mistake. Ask me how I know. <laughs> and, and type in like 30 and hit the sign button, and it's going to say 0.5. 
type in 45 and hit the sign button, it's going to say 0.71. So what I do is I kind of round those numbers to where they're easier for me to manipulate in doing arithmetic on the firing line. So the, the numbers that I have in my head are 12 o'clock wind is zero, right? A 1230 wind is 25%. That's easy to kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's easy arithmetic. A one o'clock wind is 50% of the winds wind value. A 130 wind is a is 75%. So I rounded up from 71 to 75. 4% error, not going to see it. And a two o'clock wind is 90% of the wind. Now I rounded up from like 0.87 to 0.90. Again, less than 3% error. And then anything past two o'clock, I consider full value wind. Because the actual, the actual percentages, you know, from 70, if 75 is 87, by the time you get to 230, it's 96%. So if you just call everything past two o'clock, a hundred percent of the wind, it's, that's a lot easier on you. And you're not, you're not going to miss the wind by more than 10%. So 25%. So going in on the half an hour, it's zero for 12, 25%, 50%, 75%, 90%. And then past two o'clock is a hundred percent. And then the way you use those numbers is if I have a wind speed of 10 miles per hour, and if it was coming from 130, 45 degrees, well, my number for 130 is 75%. So that means that my effective value, my effective wind speed is seven and a half miles per hour. Does that make sense? It does. I'm writing this down. <laughs> and you can use the old school, no value, half value, full value, where you know you can call almost everything to almost two o'clock so from like, so from 12 o'clock down to like, uh, 1230, you call that no value. And then from like 1230 to almost two o'clock, you can call that half value. And then past two o'clock, you call it full value. That works really well. It's quick. And if your winds aren't more than about three miles per hour, or if you're shooting at less than about 600 yards, you can use that to calculate how much wind is blowing out there and get hits. You don't have to get so far down into the weeds. Um, so, you know, and so the way to use that, once you get the wind speed and you figure, you know what the wind angle is, uh, so you know what the value is, the percentage, you then come out with a number on the other end. So if it's a one o'clock wind, that's 50%, and it's a 10 mile per hour measured velocity on my Kestrel, that means that I'm dealing with a, a five mile per hour effective wind. Even though it's blowing 10, it's really only worth five because it's coming in from one o'clock, right? So once I have that number, what do I do with it? So if you're doing things uh, kind of manually uh, to where like there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of different techniques for like keeping track of how much the wind is at any one distance. Um, you know, there's, there's a short wind formula that uh, – that Todd Hodnett uh, kind of came up with, um, super smart guy. Um, that kind of it, it tracks wind at a certain speed, uh, a constant speed, and it gives you what that number is in mils uh, per hundred meter yard line. 
and uh, the newer Kestrels have a have a wind have a wind constant calculation. If you have the accuracy first function on the newer Kestrel, if that's what it's going to give you. Um, so it's going to give you like, hey, so if my if you're if my rifle if I have a wind number of four miles per hour, that means that a four mile per hour wind as you go back from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400 is going to track like in a linear manner. So at 100, it would be 0.1 and at 200, four miles per hour would equal 0.2 and at 300, four miles per hour would equal 0.3, etc. Um, so there's ways of figuring that out. Uh, you, you know, like I said, the Kestrel does it for you now with the accuracy first, um, software that's in there. Uh, if you have wind dots, so if you have or time of flight dots, if you're shooting a tremor reticle, those those dots represent a wind speed based on your uh, caliber that you're shooting and the bullet that you're shooting. Right. So the the ballistic performance of your bullet will affect the value of those wind dots. I have a tremor three reticle and an ATAC R that I use, um, and they're extremely they're awesome because. I know the value of that dot, but in order for me to use that dot, I have to know the effective wind speed. So if I have, just to make it easy, if I've done all the calculations and each one of those dots represents five miles per hour of wind at a certain mill line, I'm holding four mills and I do my calculation, the wind's coming in from one o'clock to 10 miles per hour. That means I'm worth, it's worth five miles per hour. And my wind dots are each worth five miles per hour. And then I just simply hold one wind dot upwind of the uh, upwind of the target, and bang, I hit the target. Um, you can use the Kestrel to figure all this stuff out too. You can enter in the wind speed and the wind angle, and the Kestrel does the math for you. So this is where I was talking about how Mitch and I do differ on some things. So um, Mitch, uh, you know, last time uh, Mitch and I shot together at King of Two Mile. Um, you know, Mitch likes to, at that time was entering every single thing into the Kestrel. Like, okay, I want to enter in the direction I'm shooting. I want to enter in the wind speed from the actual wind direction and, uh, and the actual, you know, the actual direction magnetic have everything entered in and let the Kestrel tell me what the answer is. And that's a good way of doing it. Um, the Kestrel is really good at that thing. And if you have a target, if you have a, the Kestrel can hold up to, I think it's, is it 10 targets, Mitch? Um, it actually might be more than that. I've, I've never personally ran 10 targets. So I, I mean, I couldn't tell you yeah. right off the top of my head, but, but it's at least 10 targets probably. Yeah. And the, you know, the Garmin, the 701 has a, a, you know, you can build, you can build targets in that as well. So you could enter in the direction of your target and even the wind speed of all the different targets. And it's going to tell you the solution right there. Also, a cool thing about the Kestrel is it has a has a capture button on it. So if you're looking at your Kestrel, the little red button that's centered just below the, the screen is a capture button. So you can like highlight the target in the screen. Uh, so scroll up and down until the target thing is is underlined or highlighted. You press the capture button and you point the, the back of the Kestrel at the target, and it then says, hey, the target is this direction. And then you scroll one button down to the wind, and then you press the capture button, and you point the Kestrel into the wind, and it's going to say, okay, I know I'm pointed X amount of degrees off of the target line, and I'm measuring the wind speed at this, and the Kestrel has all that math built in, and it'll give you the solution. Um, 
This only works if you've calibrated your Kestrel, the compass in the Kestrel. So then that's an easy thing to do. You, there's all you have to do is go online, look at the Kestrel website or a couple of different places, and it'll it'll talk you through how to calibrate the Kestrel. So that'll get you direction and speed. And that's really the those are the big ones. Um, for me, you know, I'm a guy that like I want to know the data. So I usually just put I keep my Kestrel at like uh a, just a, a like a, a one mile per hour or a ten mile per hour number, or if I'm using a wind, if I'm using uh, uh, like time of flight dots in my tremor, um, I'll set one of the wind fields for my time of flight dots. So if I have a five, you know, if I'm shooting a big gun like a three three eight or something, and the dots are worth like you know six miles per hour or something, then I'll set one wind field for six miles an hour and I'll set the other one for ten miles an hour. So then I can still do the math in my head because that's how my brain works. I like to figure out the speed. I like to figure out the direction and I like to come up with, I know what the effective number is. Then I can make my own calculations. And that, you know, if you're back earlier, I talked about, you know, you have to know the wind's effect at the target and that's where that data comes in. You have to know how much the wind is blowing your bullet at the target. So and that info is easy to get. That's you can get it from your Kestrel and your range card. You could write it down, anything like that. So uh, that's really the basics of it. You have to figure out the speed, the velocity, uh, and the angle, the value, and then know you have to have some way of organizing your data of how much the wind is blowing your bullet at the target. So the short wind formula, you know, using that the accuracy first number in the Kestrel. Uh, or coming up with your own sort of, uh, you know, kind of sort of range shorthand or writing it down. Um, and, you know, lots of these PRS stages give you the distances, the targets before you start shooting. So you can actually write that stuff down beforehand. And that's what I always did when I was kind of wind coaching the AB guys. I would have all that information entered in already. I would have a kind of a sector sketch or range card already drawn up. And my range card looked like I had a picture of the target that I drew, how big the target was in mills, so I could help the shooter uh, correct to get on the target, and how much a mile per hour of wind blew, how much it moved the bullet. So I had that information already pre-positioned. I can look at it, and I could give corrections on the line. And uh, and then uh, you know, kind of the last thing I would I want to I'd like to talk about is like. Like when it matters to do what and what kind of sort of tactical or strategic, you know, decisions you can make, you know, so. If, uh, if you're using, that real quick. Um, yeah, man, go ahead. One, one comment I wanted to make when you're talking about kind of like the difference in our approaches. Um, yeah. The way I kind of settled on that approach. And I think the reason, um, you know, it, it works for me and I kind of like going down that path is when I, I personally kind of shifted my mindset on wind from like trying to peg that specific wind number into thinking more about the wind brackets, right? So the Kestrel right. and a lot of the other devices that have AB in it are designed so that you can establish a wind bracket. You can establish a, a low wind and a high wind, and it gives you a, a, you know, a low solution and a high solution. And it gives you that bracket that you can kind of center your target around. And you can visualize, uh, I know this is something we've talked about before, especially in the team stuff we do is, um, you know, how does that bracket compare to the size of the target, right? Because that can kind of yep. change how you sure. um, go about, 
you know, finalizing, you know, what your hold's going to be for that shot. Uh, so that's it to, for me personally, that was a different mindset because, um, when I first started, I was in the mindset of always wanting to try to, to nail that specific wind call and right. make shots. And then when it wasn't perfect, you know, you almost get kind of frustrated, or, but you, you know, if you've got the right mindset, you're in the, the learning mode, you're like, okay, I got to do this a little bit differently. The wind was actually this, but if you start getting good at picking those brackets with which the Kestrel device itself is actually really good for getting with that capture mode. Cause that's what it's doing is giving you right. a high and low for that bracket. Um, just for me, it felt a little bit more forgiving because if I could establish that bracket and the bracket was about the size of the target, well, if I, if I did my job correctly and I, I didn't, maybe I didn't get the exact wind call perfect, but I got that bracket, right? Well, now most of my shots are landing within the target, right? Or maybe I'm missing just off the left, just off the right, but I know my bracket's really close. Yeah. So that was kind of the approach that I took in, in why I do my wind that way. Cause I'm, I'm trusting the the direction and the values in the device because I'm not taking as much time trying to pinpoint an exact number. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of describe that that shift in my mindset, at least for my approach to wind from that specific number to more of the bracket. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and I think another reason why uh, why it was easier for you to do it like that um, in that environment you know, because when we're shooting at extreme long ranges, uh, there are things that you absolutely have to uh, account for, which, you know, lots of shooters don't have to. It's kind of lost in the noise. So like spin drift and the effects of Coriolis. Right. So yep. um, and so, you know, that was that's like a real team dynamic question. And you see a lot of guys get it wrong. And that's something that I feel like we spend a lot of time with on the A.B. team to make sure that we had a process that everybody kind of knew what was going on. Like, you know, Brian liked having the spin drift dialed on so that basically it was neutral right at the target we're shooting at. So basically dialing on to where you have a zero, a no wind zero at each distance it to include Coriolis. And, and then some people are like, well, no, man, I'm just going to leave I'm going to have everything inputted on my Kestrel. So the Kestrel will give me the total solution at one time yep. instead of, instead of having to try to separate things apart and try to keep track of, okay, well, what is my spin drift? What is my Coriolis? Well, I've already got this dialed on. So then what's my thing. So, uh, I, I think that's, you know, if, if, if it doesn't change too quickly, keeping everything in the, in the machine is a great, is a great way to do it. And, but for me, as the guy behind the line um, and trying to think about it, I'm just I was just thinking about the what the wind number was. I wanted to separate the data so that I could just I just wanted to know what the pure wind number was. So then, you know, when I'm looking at the bracket size because I know how big the target is, does that make sense? So, yeah, but I, and I know that. And but if if in a team dynamic, if the if the shooter is unaware that you're giving him a correction, including Coriolis and he's already, or in spin drift and he's doing something already to, to, to manage that. Or if he isn't doing something to manage it and you think he is doing something to manage it, that's disaster. Yeah. <laughs> because at those ranges, you know, the combination of spin and Coriolis can make you miss a target. 
even if you get the wind perfect, you know, once you start reaching out to two miles and whatnot, right? So, um, or put you on the edge of the target. So your wind, even if the target is two miles per hour of wind wide, you've just you've just reduced the the target size of your error to like maybe 0.3 miles per hour, right? So yep. it's important. Um, but you know, talking about bracket, that kind of um, dovetails in what I'm going to talk about. So, for example, um, you know, all this stuff that I just talked about. So the angle and the velocity and figuring out the effective wind and figuring out which tremor dot to use or, uh, you know, exactly how many mils or minutes of angle, because I know how much the wind is blowing at the target. If I'm shooting a six, five Creedmoor and I'm shooting on like a standard Ipsic size target, and I'm at anything less than about 700 yards and the wind is seven miles per hour or less, I don't have to do anything. I just will hold on the upwind edge of the target. I'm going to get a hit. I'm going to get a hit either upwind of center or downwind of center. Because, you know, if the the closer you are or the more ballistically capable your gun is uh, and ammo, like it makes the target wider for the wind. If I'm shooting a 308 at 1600 yards, that target might only be a quarter of a mile per hour wide of wind. But if I'm shooting a 300 Norma Magnum with a 215 Burger, that target might be three miles an hour wide. So knowing your sort of capabilities of your rifle can make it really quick for you. So, like, if I'm wargaming a stage, if I was wargaming a stage, I would kind of know, okay, I know the targets are this big and, you know, it's easy to figure out how much the wind is going to blow your bullet because you can use your Kestrel to do that. You can set your Kestrel up to look at drift in inches if you want to. And you can look at these different ranges and make sort of tactical and strategic decisions on what you need to do. You know, so like, so with a 308, you know, if I'm shooting at a thousand yards or so, I have to get the wind within with less than two miles an hour and the direction within 15 degrees to hit a target. But if I'm shooting at a thousand yards with a six, five Creedmoor and a one forty burger, well, I can probably get a really high hit percentage just by knowing the wind, the direction and holding to within half of one of those wind dots and the upwind and the downwind edge of the target. I don't actually have to put a number on it. I can just use that stuff. And so the and if I'm shooting with a 300 Norma, I can get that same hit percentage out to like a thousand yards, just holding the upwind edge in average conditions of seven miles an hour or so or less. And I'm going to get a hit. So the takeaway from that is don't get lost. You know, it if you're shooting at 300, it doesn't really matter what the wind is blowing if you're shooting a ballistically capable cartridge. Just hold the upwind edge. It probably takes over 10 miles per hour of wind, full value, to make you miss that target. So you hit the target and you move on. And uh, the last thing I kind of want to talk about for like the sort of competitive shooter is uh, like where the wind matters, right? So where should we be looking at the wind? And for most shooting that happens, you know, most of the shooting that we do kind of happens up to about the beginning of transonic, you know, or Mach 1.3. So, uh, you know, there's a really excellent article 
Um, so Nick Vitabo, who's one of the freaking big brain dudes on the planet, uh, you know, his, his website is nvisti, so N-V-I-S-T-I.com. And uh, Nick's got lots of articles and good stuff on that website. One of the articles is written by uh, one of Nick's guys, Dan Perriard, and it's called Where Does Win Matter? And I would recommend everybody read that article. It's a PDF. It's free. Download it. And it kind of talks about wind weighting or how the wind effect is kind of broken into range segments. So a good way of thinking about ranges is in thirds. So first third, middle third, and then the last third to the target. So just to make the math easy, if we're shooting at a 900-yard target because I'm an English major (laughs) – the first third is from the muzzle to 300 yards, and the middle third is from 300 to 600 yards, and the final third is from 600 to 900 yards. The first third is just about 50% of the total wind that you're dealing with. And the middle third is about another 35% or so of the wind. And the final third is is probably less than 20% of the total wind. So as a rule of thumb, for most of the competition stuff, if it's PRS stuff that you're doing, uh, you know, the first and the second third are probably up to 80% of the total wind value, total winds effect. If right? you could see my face right now, I have a drop jaw. I, I had no idea. I'd never heard that before. That's... Yeah. So, you know, and I've heard all kinds of things. I mean, I've, you know, I've been shooting this, I've been shooting for a long time and I've heard all kinds of stuff like, oh man, like you gotta watch the last, that last flag, you know, 997 yards away. The target's at a thousand. When that flag does something, man, that's when you get caught. And I don't know why I always tend to make Southern accents when I do, when I do that stuff, but that, but that's how I do it. I was secretly hoping we were going to get some voices out of you tonight. (laughs) And as usual, um, so the, you know, there's arguments are made for all the different sort of range segments. You know, the first third, well, it's important because, you know, the bullet sort of gets kicked over and moving on a different vector um, because, the you know, the wind, you know, the bullet, bullets kind of weather vane into the wind, right? So um, you actually set up a crosswind sort of vector that moves the bullet. Now the bullet is actually moving downwind because of the angle that it's weather veining. Uh, so that happens as soon as the first time the wind hits the bullet and bullets don't, they don't write, they don't come back right on course. Right. So they don't, they're not self writing. So, you know, if you only have wind for the first 50 yards, it's going to continue moving downwind the whole time. So, you know, since you start off moving it at an angle away from the target, really close to you, that wind's really important. And then the middle third wind's important because the bullet's highest in the air, right? Uh, that's the, the, you know, the, the maximum ordinate of, a, of your trajectory is always about 55% of the total distance of the target. So if we're shooting at a thousand yards, right around 550 yards is where the bullet is the highest in the air. Okay. That's a pretty good rule of thumb, right? But so 55% of the total distance of the target is your maximum ordinate. And then the final third, well, uh, it, it, there's an argument there because the bullet is the slowest, you know, its ballistic performance is the least and the, if the wind can move it more, right. Cause you know, wind, wind effect is about time of flight. Right. Right. Mitch. 
Bro, so repeat that again real quick. I know you're I know you're you're playing Minecraft, Minesweeper. Yep. But like yep. when uh like uh, so I mean when the wind effect is is basically due to time of flight, right? So the longer the bullet stays in the air in time of flight in one segment, that's gonna affect how much it gets moved in the wind. So the final third you know, the, the bullet spends the most time in the final third relative to the other two thirds. So there's an argument there. But if you read this article and you kind of look at how they approach solving this question, it's really the first two thirds. That's the majority. So what I do as a user, I'll look downrange. And if the first third agrees with the, the second third, so if the terrain looks the same, if there isn't something goofy going along on with um, – um, being, the, the bullets being protected from the, from the wind for the, like the middle third, but not the first third. I just make my wind off of the first third that I can see. And there's a pretty high uh, likelihood that that's the condition all the way to the target. Now, if you're shooting extreme long range, that final third gets weighed much more. So you really do have to pay attention. And, uh, and again, there's a, uh, uh, you know, the AB, the analytics software lets you model this, actually. Um, uh, you can get into the AB anal- analytics, the analytics, the wind profile analysis on analytics. And uh, I play with that all the time and just look at stuff and see, see how much the wind is moving in these different segments. And you can set it up and, and you got you got all kinds of smart people around you that can describe how to use that. Uh, it's a very powerful tool. Uh, that whole program is very powerful. Um, so for me, so, uh, I guess the very, very last thing I want to say is, um, so initial wind call and your correction. So you should observe, you should assess the maximum and the minimum observed true value wind. This is Mitch's bracket, right? So what, what is, what is the least it's likely to be? And what is the most it's likely to be? Right. Um, so while you're shooting, you may see that change. So it lets you not be surprised, right? You know, Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's kind of the same way um, with shooting, <laughs> um, right? But you, you have to like at least have an idea of what, you're, what you can expect. Um, and any noticeable wind or mirage movement, uh, for me, the minimum adjustment should be half the target width. So if I'm looking down there and I just see the slightest right to left trickle, or I just see like, you know, some dandel, you know, some cottonwood uh, seedlings in the uh, in the air, slowly just drifting, or dandelion seed just slowly drifting, and I'm like, man, there's not a, there's barely anything, but I can see something moving left or right. My minimum hold is half the target width to the edge. Um. I, I had a, I had a guy that used to shoot for me, um, and on the army team, he was from Texas and he had the two best things for the wind, two best sayings. And one was, it ain't never not worth nothing, (laughs) right? It ain't never not worth nothing. So, uh, that means it's probably, it's always worth something, right? If you do the kind of like reverse, reverse postulation of that sentence. And then the other one is, the bullet never leaves the barrel and says, F it, I'm going upwind. That doesn't happen. <laughs> it just does not happen, right? So if there's any wind, you should do something about it. Um, you know, that's that you have to keep in mind that you you know you might have some spin drift associated. And like 
And talking about that without getting too d- far down the nerd rabbit hole on Spindrift and stuff, if thinking about Spindrift with with uh, what your windage correction should be, um, I like to think of it like I have an extra X miles per hour of wind from the left at different distances. So if I'm shooting thousand yard stuff, you know, uh, you know, the NRA sort of Palma shooting 308 rifle that I do, I'll do a lot of that for me. If I have like a hundred yard wind zero on my rifle at a thousand yards, I just assume I have about a two mile per hour left wind out there, even though that's completely calm. So that gets you, uh, that gets you actually pretty close to like what it really would be. Right. So understanding what that is, um, uh, at different distances is key to, to keeping track of that and being able to manage it, you know, or you dial it on or just remember it. But thinking about spin drift as a wind speed, as a constant wind speed out of the left actually does help, especially when you start shooting moving targets and all these other things. It's easier to think of it as, Hey, I just have to add X amount of miles per hour to left wind every time that I have to think about left wind. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And then, you know, there's two sides of a target. You got a pro side and an amateur side. So very good friend of mine, one of the best sort of military snipers and rifle coaches I ever met uh, named Jason St. John. Uh, He came up with this, this thing that, you know, he told me, Hey man, there's an amateur side and a pro side. There's the pro side is upwind amateurs side is downwind. So amateurs miss downwind of the target pros miss upwind of the target um so i i you know it's like a it's like a mental thing people want to believe that they want to believe there isn't as much wind out there as maybe there is they're always like oh maybe it's not that bad man yeah i think it's gonna be okay maybe it's zero maybe that gets you a miss on the amateur side but if you're thinking about it proactively push yourself if you're gonna miss miss upwind miss upwind because if you miss downwind you're not even looking there it's easier to see talking about spotting it's easier to spot a shot that is a miss for wind if it's upwind than if it's downwind because if you miss upwind you're probably not going to miss by as much as if you miss downwind and i don't know why that's true but it certainly seems to be true in my experience. So, and it's a lot easier if I'm spotting for a guy or if you're spotting for another shooter to catch that splash next to the target if you miss upwind of it than if you miss like six targets downwind because you're not looking there, right? Right. So miss on the pro side, not on the amateur side. I love it. That's it. Now you know as much as I do. That's all you you need to know. That's all you need to know. Exactly as much as I do right now, Amanda. (laughs) Now I just need to figure out how to um, apply it. Like I'm super excited to, I've been furiously writing this whole time you've been talking. So I'm going to have to go back and listen again without writing. Um, But I'm super excited to take some of these things and take them to the range with me. Um, Yeah. yeah. Use all your tools. You know, use, use the Kestrel, Uh, you know, try it like, or just take the Kestrel outside in the wind and practice like practice like uh you know using the target you know uh the getting the uh the direction of fire the dof or dof getting 
get your set your direction of fire, learn how to do that um, by using the capture button when it's on the target, and you and then capture the wind direction and the wind speed. And if you press that capture button, you hold it in the air. Uh, I believe wind one is the average that the that the wind meter uh, measured. And talking to the Kestrel people, like Katie, uh, they they say a minimum five seconds if you're going to capture the wind. Okay, so. Wind one is is the average, and wind two will be the peak wind or the max wind that it observed. So your wind one that your wind one and wind two that populates on your kestrel will be the average is wind one, and then wind two will be the high number if you got a gust of what the, of what the wind would be while you were capturing a, it. Right, but okay. in order to use that and get proper dope, you have to have the range the target entered. And you have to have the you know the correct direction of the target entered, right? So that's where it makes it it makes sense if you have the time to build that little target card in your Kestrel, target A, B, C, D, whatever, and make sure that those targets are enabled so you can toggle using the right or left buttons, you can toggle to those targets. So you go, hey, your next target's at 900 yards, hit the right button one time, you go from target A to target B, the target shows up, boom. And you're right there, you know, and, you know, there's, and there's tricks, tools, tricks of the trade using that Kestrel, like Mitch found out, don't leave your environment on live and then put it on the right, on the mat while you're shooting. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Why is that bad? So the, the problem is that thermal loads, right? That's why you always see us spinning around in the air with the lanyard because you're getting it to equalize to the air. If you just let it sit on the mat, your mat's warming up in the sun and even if you're shooting in 70 degree, 70 degree weather before long, your Kestrel thinks it's 120 <gasps> and your uh, solution is going to be pretty far off. So that's Son why as soon as I'm as soon as I'm done spinning that thing around, I grab it and I lock it and I lock the the environmental so that doesn't change. So now I know what happened to me a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I went I went to the range and I was shooting with my 22 and I did all my stuff and then I laid down and, you know, I'm just watching and I'm now I get it. Your data is changing as you're watching. Son of a right? gun. You're right. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, Pretty what's simple. going on? I mean, same thing of keeping it in your pocket. Right. So like, you know, take that Kesher lot, spin it around by the lanyard, get an honest, you know, what the what the temperature is. Um, let it pick that up. Honestly, then, like Mitch said, just. Uh, make sure just toggle it over to lock and then you can put it back in your pocket. Okay. Even if it's sitting in one place and with no air moving around it, it's going to move on you. It, the temperature, everything's going to move on you. Um, you know, a perfect world, you could have one of these like little dongles, you know, that's Bluetooth and you could put that dongle up somewhere in the air, you know, 20 feet off of the ground. So where it's not being, you know, the ground isn't going to heat the air up and you can connect Bluetooth to that dongle, you know, but who the hell has got time to do that? So, you know, but, uh, yeah, just make sure that you're not skewing your own data. Right. Oh, interesting, man. Yeah. Okay. But that's really the, the nuts and bolts of, uh, kind of, you know, how I, how I, how I kind of explain the wind and how I do it myself. Honestly, I was on the range today, uh, testing out, I'm shooting our new 85.5 grain two, two, three bullet out of a, out of a bolt rifle. And, um, you know, 
Um, I was out on the range shooting 600 yards, same thing, looking at the direction, looking at the speed. I knew that my bullet moves about 0.4 MOA per mile per hour. So the wind was blowing from my back towards my left right around 11 o'clock. And then it's about a six mile per hour wind. So 11 o'clock is 50%. You know, 11 o'clock and one o'clock are the same percentages, right? And two o'clock and 10 o'clock are the same. Uh, so 11 o'clock wind, you know, blowing out towards my 11. So it was really coming in from my five o'clock out of the right. I'm like, that's about six miles per hour. And I got the direction from the my spotting scope. So I knew I was dealing with about three miles per hour. So the, uh, you know, my bullet blows around 0.4 MOA per mile an hour at 600 yards. So three times 0.4 is 1.2. I put one and a quarter minutes on my gun. I shot an X for shot and very simple process. But if nobody knew what was going on in your head, that shit looks like magic. (laughs) 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 But it's not, it's, it's just arithmetic that even I can do. (laughs) Well, then, then I might have some hope. (laughs) Yeah. I promise you had higher math SATs than me. I promise you, you did. Mm, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's really all. That's really all I, all I got on that stuff. I I hope, uh, you know, that was uh, informative to you. It was very informative. And you're, you know, everybody's got different approaches. So it's really important to ask as many different people shooting as many different disciplines, how they do it. Like ask Mitch, you know, like, uh, you know, a one man show is a different wind and a wind management thing than a guy who's like doing it as a spotter and thinking it. So that's a different thought process. So, you know, talk to, talk to F class guys, talk to guys that you know, talk to Mitch, talk to like Chase Stroud, talk to Brian, talk to all these cats and they're all going to have a slightly different approach. And that, you know, you might find one that resonates more with you than okay. another one. You know, that's, that's good um, advice. You know, as long as they're not saying something that's not right, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, uh, you're like, ah, you know, well, if the, the wind from two o'clock is actually more than an actual three o'clock wind, because the wind profile of the side of the bullet, uh, it can actually overturn or tip the bullet because it's not this way, that away. Like that's some bullshit. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, but if, as long as it's not something like crazy talk, uh, you know, like when you're shooting next to a volcano, the wind is the opposite direction or something like that, then yeah, just uh, different people's approaches are important to get, especially, but only, you know, pick people that are winning stuff. Right. You know, they, and that might not necessarily be the guy in the range that wants to tell you all about it. Cause the guy in the range that wants to tell you all about it, maybe he just wants misery company you know, and he wants somebody to believe with him or her. So <laughs> seek out those people that seem to know what they're doing and just approach them. Say, Hey man, I, I watch you. You seem to have this dialed in. What are you doing, man? Can you help me? And I would say almost everybody in this sport will help you. And if they don't, then tell everybody that they were a jackass and make sure they're, they're kicked out of the club. Cause you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a hundred percent agree that there is yeah. very, very, very few shooters who, if you ask them for advice or help or to explain something to you, will they sh- not help you? Actually, that reminds me of something. So when you're talking to people on the, on the, on at a match for wind, 
I think it's really important to only talk about miles per hour. Don't talk. You sometimes you hear shooters talking about, "Hey, I used uh, I used nine and a half minutes, or I used four point one mils, or I was shooting at eleven mils." That's I would. That's information that is not necessarily useful to you. Um, you know, the old the old story, you know, at Camp Perry, where you know somebody went up to you know, Middleton Tompkins, you know, who is like one of the most famous uh, shooters ever in the NRA long range world. Fantastic champion shooter. Somebody went up to him and said, Hey, how much wind is out there after he shot a thousand yards and he shot a perfect score. And he goes, Oh, I had, uh, I had, uh, I had three on like, okay. They come back after the match. You're like, Hey, God damn it. You said three, I put three minutes on and I was off the target almost. I mean, I lost so many points. Uh, why did you tell me that? He goes, I, I had three clicks on. Not three minutes. I didn't tell you three what. You didn't ask. You asked me what I had on. I said three. Hmm. So three quarter to three minutes, right? So um, if somebody's shooting a different caliber, different bullet, different velocity than you, their wind hold probably isn't going to translate to you unless you can find somebody that's shooting the exact same thing you are. So what I recommend is everybody talk in miles per hour. Because that helps that helps people that are using uh, you know tremor reticles you know with, with and and also a lot of these short wind formulas they're all designed to go off of wind speed so you know if Mitch is shooting a three three eight enabler and you're shooting you know uh, a six Creedmoor and Mitch gets done shooting and he's only using like 0.7 mils and you need 2.6 mils. But if bitch comes off, he says, Hey, I was, I was holding for five miles per hour. You can hold for five miles per hour for your gun and hit the first shot. So at least internally among team members or among, among groups of friends at matches, try to get in the habit of talking about miles per hour versus minutes or mills that you held because it's more valuable information. And it's also scalable. If the wind is at five miles an hour at 800 yards, and your next target is at 1,400 yards, and it's right behind the 800-yard target, guess what? You can still use a five-mile-per-hour hold at that 1,400-yard target. You're going to use more wind, but it's still a five-mile-per-hour hold, if that makes sense. It does. That's so, really good advice. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned the hard way, so that's how I know. Most of the things I really believe in, I've been punished for not doing, so – uh that you have any other uh questions or anything i can this, illuminate no this was fantastic i okay. i feel i feel smarter already um yeah it makes one of us <laughs> well well that was a lot and i'm i'm gonna i can't wait to go back and listen and um use some of these tips yeah well i really appreciate the the opportunity to uh to to come on and, I, and allow me to do some shameless uh plugging i was just I, gonna ask you yep do it so uh yeah i so you know i uh full disclosure i work for uh you know capstone precision and so we are burger bullets lapua cases and bullets and and loaded cartridges vitivory powder and sk rimfire so all of our stuff you can go to uh capstone pg uh, capstone precision group capstonepg.com and you can find links to all the websites there um we're also doing 
a campaign, kind of an information campaign uh, called No BS BC. So uh, this is where we try to demystify what a BC is and what is really important. Is a BC number or the consistency of BC more important? And we're really lucky, you know, Brian Litz is, you know, he, uh, you know, he double dips, right? So he's, uh, you know, Brian started out as the bullet guy at Burger. And so Brian still helps us. And so we have a whole host of articles written by Brian about all these different topics about BC and consistency that in a way that's very easy to understand because Brian's writing style is fantastic in that. Agreed. So if you go to just nobsbc.com, all those articles pop up. You can also get to that through the Burger Bullets uh, website and just go over to the blog and all that stuff is there. Um, Because we like to highlight that the Burger Bullets, especially the new long-range hybrid targets, which which have the meat plots are tipped at the factory, they're reduced at the factory, the consistency of BC of those bullets is industry-leading. Uh, they're very, very low, below 1%. And that stuff matters when you're shooting at distance. So uh, I would like to plug that. And I would like for people to go and check out those articles um, and just check out all of our new bullets, especially the long-range hybrid targets, which have that NEPLA reduction technology where we're, we're making the making them a little pointier. And you know, as, as everybody should know, the pointier bullet is the – the more ballistically effective it is. And the more you can make those points consistent and the bullet shape consistent, the more consistent your BC is. So uh, I want people to go there and and learn about it. It's free content. Check it out. And uh, I, and I would really, I really appreciate your time, Amanda and Mitch. Uh, always, always good to have Mitch and have his, you know, Mitch is another big brain guy, you know? So yes, he is. it's, it's nice to have a big brain guy and to uh, either throw the shenanigans flag or, you know, <laughs> to, uh, or, or to validate something that, that you see. Yeah. He I did, think, he, uh, Amanda, I think we should do, actually do a, a follow up to this. Um, you know, maybe just you and me, or maybe even get Brian on or someone. And, uh, cause you know, Emil, Emil brought a, a lot of good practical information about wind. But, you know, being that this is the Applied Ballistics podcast, um, I think we could easily do, you know, an hour or so just getting into the the science of how does the wind move the bullet? You know, that's uh, that's kind of a different conversation that I, a lot of people at this podcast would be interested in. I think that'd be a good follow up. Yeah, you need an hour. Yeah. Once, you know, once once Brian starts going down the <laughs> mechanism of wind deflection, that's a solid hour. It's a great hour, but it's an hour. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'll have to wrangle him down and get a time. I think that's a good idea. Um, so I'm going to wrap us up. We're at an hour and a half now. Um, and Emil, thank you so, so, so much. Um, it was very good. I'm, it was very good. I'm so smart. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My brain is gooey now. Um, it's okay. It was a lot of, a lot of great information and I'm excited to go back and listen to it again. And I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, the I'm not uh, I'm not an implied ballistics employee, but you guys have always treated me like one of the family, and it means a lot to me uh, when we go to these matches and being able to hang out with the guys and be part of that team because it really it is a 
you know, results, results, regardless of results, it is a fantastic uh, group of people um, that all kind of get together as a family first. So um, I do appreciate that. So again, any, anytime you guys want to chat, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. If you want to have you want to have a podcast about classical guitar, I'll I'll talk your ear off. <laughs> you could play some songs for us. Well, sure, yeah, you know. Okay, next time I'm gonna extra do extra <laughs> scheduling time so we can have some songs. Okay, great. Okay, thanks, guys. Everybody, okay. have a good night. Okay, yeah, thank you.